0: Sunday or Friday at midday, I think to myself, hey, you know, it'd be nice if I had something to say, Lord, (laughs) Sunday morning, you know, and I prayed and I used these words, the glory of God in my prayer time. And if you think back, you hear me say that often when I'm praying. You hear me refer to the phrase, the glory of God. You know i don't hear an audible voice but i know when the holy spirit has dropped a question in me or dropped something in me because it was there it wasn't there one second the next second it's there and it has sparked thinking right so what the holy spirit rose up on the inside of me and said this question do you have any idea what you're saying when you refer to god's glory Now, whenever the Holy Spirit asks me a question like that, I'm at least smart enough to say, no, I don't have any idea. (laughs) And I don't. I don't. You know, because if the Holy Spirit asks you that kind of question, it's the same identical kind of question that God was asking Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you? God knew where they were. Who needed to know where they were? They needed to answer that question for themselves, where are you, right? So when the Holy Spirit says to me, do you have any idea what that means? I immediately say no, because the good news is, I know he's about to drop the answer in me. And I'm telling you, it was mind blowing. I have slept like a baby Friday night, Saturday night, much better, much better. How many of you would like to sleep better at night? I'm telling you the truth, the word of God will set you free. Amen? All right. All right. Oh, well, I don't know if I can get the message across to little Olivia. (laughs) You know, we just rock rock her. I'm going to get a shirt that says Papa's Rock. (laughs) Right? Because I rock with my, my grandbaby. All right. So having said that, let me Let me pray one more time. I love to pray. I love to pray. You can't get a hold of God enough. Amen. Father, we're about to read your word. Crack it open for us. Father, crack us open. Open our eyes. Touch our eyes, Father, that we see. Open our ears that we hear. Open our spirits that we receive, Lord. What you would have for us today that would set us free and calls us, Lord, to move forward in revival, nothing hindering us, Father, not only personally, on a personal level, Father, but revival for our families, revival for our church, our family here, and revival for every church that lifts up the name of Jesus in Anchorage. And, Father, may it catch fire for the entire state, And, Father, may it catch fire and touch the world around us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I read the scripture, let let me just expound for 30 seconds over what I just prayed. Don't tell me for one minute that it's too late for this country. I don't believe it. We serve a big God. Amen. You know, you know, I'm not going to get into the politics of it all, or even you know specific laws. But you look around the country and you see laws being passed that I would have told you a year ago would never happen in this country. Now I will tell you that laws are not the answer. Revival is the answer. It doesn't matter what our government says is legal and right. Doesn't matter. What matters if if revival happens and God shows us his glory, people won't care what the law says. They just won't do that stuff anymore, all right? The the want to in their hearts and the thing that says okay will be dealt with by God, right? We don't need laws changed as badly as we need the glory of God to be manifest in our country, amen? Alright, turn with me if you will to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. I think you got that, Nathan, don't you? Well, at least you got that. For those of you that are taking notes, we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. I was exposed to this verse in my youth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Now please forgive me if it sounds like I make a mockery of things. I'm not trying to make a mockery of things. I'm trying to show you just how stupid I could be in my youth and hope that I'm not as stupid now, all right? Um, the second graders in Ruthie's class says, that's an ugly word. I probably need to change that word, stupid, I guess. I was exposed to this verse in my youth, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whatever you do, say that with me, whatever you do. One more time, whatever you do. Doesn't that sound pretty inclusive? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All right, let's take a walk together this morning. Let's wax nostalgic. I I like using words like that every now and then. It reminds me of my my late maternal grandmother, Irene McKinney. Sound like something she would say. Let's wax nostalgic. I'm not completely sure why the glory of God has become so central to me other than one reason and one reason only. God made it that way for me. God made it that way for me. Now, the roots of it probably go back further than I can remember. So this verse begs the question, does everything in life from eating pizza to drinking Coke supposed to somehow glorify or make God look glorious? (laughs) Everything it says everything right so this is you know this is what you're supposed to do sort of thing but the bible reveals things about the glory of god that make this duty in first corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 listen to this explosive with significance so let's get started first of all you've got to try to do something that's nearly impossible which is define glory i mean defining glory it's kind of like uh You know, with me, the term glory of God, I use it very often. You hear me use it. And here's a word that I like. It it sounds rather magnanimous. How do you like that word? Magnanimous, to be heard referring to God's glory. However, to define it is much like trying to define beauty. And Why do I say beauty? Because beauty, glory, these words that we use actually about God, they, they describe him. They describe God himself, right? So I use the word beauty because beauty is also a tremendous reference word when discussing God. Defining these words can be difficult, but we're going to take a stab at it. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. You have angels, right? Angels are being described in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. You have these angels with wings. I'm, I'm, I'm pausing a little bit to give you time to get there. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, you have these angels with wings. And it says, with two they cover their face. With two they cover their feet. With two they flew. And one cried to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his what? glory. Now, now I'm strange. I, I don't mind telling you that. When I look at that, I kind of wonder why. And one cried to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with I kind of thought, well, you'd think the word holiness would be there. Because they are going holy, 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 right? The whole the earth is filled with his glory, not holiness. They say glory. So, Why the move, in my thinking, my brain does this. Why the move from holy, holy, holy to the earth is is filled with your glory. Now listen to this. I define the holiness of God as, this word sounds kind kind of big, but intrinsic. I define the holiness of God as his intrinsic, infinite purity and worth. It's not So much what he is, it is who he is. It's so much a part of him, it's like he's the epitome of those words. He's the very essence of those words, right? It's intrinsic. It is who he is. But now listen to this now. All right, I define the holiness of God as his intrinsic, infinite purity and worth. It's intrinsic. It is who he is. But listen to me carefully. But when he moves out into the earth, when he goes public, when he displays himself for the world to see, the Bible regularly calls that the radiance, calls that radiance, that radiance glory. I want to read that again. When he displays himself for the world to see, The Bible regularly calls that radiance glory. Well, Let's let's see why that's important. It's not as though that holiness, it's not like that holiness and glory are different things. They're the same thing, but they're expressed differently. One is the intrinsic worth and purity. The other is that worth and purity going public to be worshipped. All right, we're going we're to give some clarity to that, all right? My best effort to define glory is the public radiance of the infinite beauty and worth of God. All the things about God that make him excellent and beautiful and desirable and supremely valuable. I, I got a lot of this started being inspired to me by a book written by Jonathan Edwards, and in his book, It's called The End for Which God Created the World. You see this truth about the glory of God, and you see it all over the Bible. That's one of my challenges to you today is as you're reading the Bible, everywhere you see the word glory, pay attention. God does everything. Listen to this. This is is a very bold statement. Think about this with me about Father. God does everything that he does from eternity to eternity, from eternity to eternity, for his own glory. Now, look, think about this for a minute. You've got schedules. You've got jobs. You're doing things. You're raising babies. You're, you're doing this. You're doing that. We do lots of things for different reasons. But God does everything for one and one only, for his glory own glory that's a powerful statement God does everything he does to lift up his beauty and his magnificence listen to this this is so powerful God does everything he does to lift up his beauty and his magnificence for people to see and to love and to enjoy so that right away, it blew my mind. It blew, it blew my mind to think that if I just quit over-concentrating over all of those other little myriad details of things that are going on that I ain't got a lick of control over. You don't have a lick of control over a lot of things going on around you, but you have control over what you focus on. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit has told me, don't you focus on the glory of Father for a little bit. And you start digging around in the word of God and you start seeing things and it. And all of a sudden, sometimes shame will overcome you because you're so upset with yourself that you allowed anything else to take precedent over your focus on the glory of God, right? Isn't that powerful, Right? Now, look, 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 Isaiah 43, verse 7. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Man, you just, what that says there. Look, now, this is about you. This is getting down to where you live, right? Isaiah 43, and verse 7, says that you, that God created you for one thing and one thing only. What does it say? Somebody read it. What does it say? God created you for his glory. Look, if you just focused on that one thing alone, why? Have you ever heard anybody, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. If you could just get this truth across to them, well, me you created for the glory of God, my life's a mess. Everybody's life's a mess. Quit, quit focusing on that. You were created for the glory of God, right? Is it starting to get more important to you? I hope so. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says we are predestined for sonship unto the praise of the glory of grace. Right? John chapter 15 verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy. I wanted to turn to joy for a minute. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you. And that your joy might be full. Why? John 15 11, Why? Because God's saying when my joy is in you. Your joy is a reflection of the radiance that I have because of my love. Jesus is saying this, because when my joy is in you, your joy is a reflection of the radiance that I have because of my love for my father and for myself. Look at the person next to you and say this. I need more proof. Say that. I need more proof. The next section of this message is what I call the great conspiracy for glory. The Great Conspiracy for Glory. Uh, I just read recently again the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Listen to this. John chapter 17, this prayer. Father, the hour has come. What is the next word out of his mouth? Glorify. Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. And then in verses 4 and 5, he says, Father, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world was. There's a lot of back and forth glorification going on between Jesus and the Father, right? You know, nobody else ever lived and breathed can have that conversation nobody. Only Jesus and Father could have that conversation. It would be so egotistical for anybody else to try to use those kinds of words with each other. Does that make sense to you? In other words, the Father and the Son are in this great conspiracy of making each other look magnificent and therein their joy consists. You, you think maybe that doesn't make sense. Listen to me. So for me to have joy... For me to have my joy in him and for him to be shining through me is virtually the same thing. You might want to write that down. So for me to have my joy in him and for him to be shining through me is virtually the same thing, which answered a different question for me. If God does everything for his glory, why is he not an egomaniac? Why why ain't God an egomaniac? No one else can talk like him. No one else can be like him. No one else can be like Jesus. No one else can brag on themselves like Jesus and God can. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you following that? Nobody can do that. But that conversation Jesus just had with Father in the garden. Glorify me, I glorify you. You glorify me, I glorify you. You You understand what I'm saying? Follow this with me, though. There, there are lots of people that I've met in my lifetime, and maybe you have met some of them too. There's lots of people who have turned away from God because God is so into God. You know, you know how many different religions there are in the world? Christianity, faith in Christ, trusting God. There's no other religion in the world like it. God says, I will have no other gods before me. And when he said it, he meant it. He still means it today. But he's not an egomaniac. He's God. God magnifies God, I wrote. God exalts God. God glorifies God. It's all over the Bible. I dare you to go find it. Go look and see. Amen. Why do you think I pray so often? And I say, Father, we're not capable even. We don't even know how to worship you. We don't know how. We need the help of your Holy Spirit because we just don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. When people, I don't care if it's a worship team or everybody in the church or anybody in the body of Christ, when they get a hold of God, and they admit they don't know what they don't know, God will sweep in and show you. God will sweep in and show you. God magnifies God. God exalts God. God glorifies God. It's all over the Bible. That little interchange about joy in John chapter 17 made me realize um, that, that the, the little interchange about joy in John chapter 17 made me realize God is not an egomaniac because when God lifts up God, now listen, when God lifts up God, when God magnifies the beauty of God in our presence, when God shows us the power of God, when God shows us the wisdom of God, when God shows us the love of God, when God shows us the justice of God, when God shows us the truth of God, are you, are you tracking with me? When God shows us everything about himself, when he lifts himself up, he's doing it for me to see and to enjoy. You see what I'm saying? He does it all for me. He does it for me. I used to tell people, you know, the greatest thing about God is that he loves me more than he loves you. (laughs) But everybody should feel that way. If you think for one minute, for one minute, that you got lost in the crowd when Jesus died on the cross for you, he knew your name. He knew your name. You didn't get lost in the numbers. You didn't get lost in the crowd. Amen? He knew you. When he died for you. On that cross. This is a powerful statement. I don't even know if you can catch it. I don't even know if it's pierced me completely yet. I know that I can go through a box of Kleenex over it. I can tell you that right now. God is most glorified in me. Listen carefully. Because it has everything to do with what we have been going through. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. When I don't let anything going on around me to interfere with what he's doing in me. I had to ask God, please forgive me for the hours I've laid in bed with my mind spinning. And I know I'm the only one that's ever been there, right? No, None of you have ever been there, right? All right. All right. All right, then let's make an impact here. That last phrase is important. My heart here, my heart, your heart, my heart and your heart has a glory of God-shaped vacuum in it. There's a glory of God-shaped hole in there. There's a vacuum in there, right? My heart here has a glory of God-shaped vacuum in it. Unless God gives me God... Unless God shows me God, then I'm going to be unhappy all of my life. And if you're unhappy long enough, it can last forever. You understand what I'm saying? We all need to get to know the glory of God. Every one of us. So, unless God gives me God, unless God shows me God, then I'm going to be unhappy for a real long time. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of who? Unbelievers, but I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes He takes a whack at the believers. You understand what I'm saying? The God of this age, and, and you look in the Bible, the word God has what? A little g, little g, not a capital G. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing. Now, listen to this phrase to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the what? Glory, Glory of Christ, who is the image of who? God. With a capital G, right? All right, think about that again with me. How many times have you just read scriptures in the Bible, you've read over them, you've read over them, you've read over them, you've read over them, and it didn't hit you with a sledgehammer. Then all of a sudden, one day, you're picking yourself up off the floor, right? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, 2 Corinthians 4.4. So the gospel is the gospel of the glory of Christ. The gospel, the good news, is of the glory of Christ. Which, when you got saved, you at least got a glimpse of it. God wants to show us a lot more. Amen? All right, the gospel is the gospel of the glory of Christ. I think that this has two meanings. Try to track with me. I think this has two meanings. Jesus Christ was displaying For all to see on the cross, he did the most glorious thing on the cross, right? Jesus Christ was displaying his glory. Remember when I said when he moves out into public, you see what I'm saying? And displays himself in public. It's the glory of Christ that you're seeing. It's the glory of God. Jesus Christ was displaying his glory on the cross. And at the same time, He was being glorious on the cross. So let me me reword it. He did the most glorious thing on the cross, thus purchasing my new birth and capacity to see the glory that he was displaying on the cross, right? So he was paying the price for me to enjoy his glory, and he was being the most glorious person imaginable while he was doing it. He was paying the price for me to enjoy his glory and he was being the most glorious person imaginable while he was doing it. I know that that might sound a little like double talk but it's not. He was showing off his glory and being glorious at the same time. What does this provide for us for me I call this section the greatest pleasure in the world that's what I call this because of the glory of Christ so let me give you a piece of bad news the nitty-gritty of it is this now I know I'm saved my name's in the Lamb's book of life and God's done a work on the inside of me and I'm, I'm made worthy by the shed blood of Jesus Christ now that's on the one hand what's on the other hand The nitty-gritty practical truth is that Carl Dennis is a sinner. Outside of Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I'm the only one in the room, right? The nitty-gritty practical truth is that Carl Dennis is a sinner. Now, I want to just give you a mild end example. I have a terrible temper. I have an Irish temper. It gets me in trouble. When I don't listen to God, we all get in trouble when we don't listen to God. Amen? I'm just going to give you, it's kind of a humorous example, but, but, but it's one that the Holy Spirit deals with me about, so it's not always funny to me. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes what the Holy Spirit wants to deal with in me has got nothing to do with you, and it might not be a problem with you at all, you know? All right, I want to take a minute to explain to you one of the sins in my life that besets me with my temper. It has to do with a female computer-generated voice in my truck. Now, you may think that sounds funny, but no. If I push a button on my steering wheel to make a phone call, the voice says, please give a command. Now, to start with, I can't get used to a female voice asking me to give her a command. (laughs) I just can't get used to that, right? All right, look. I always know when that computer-generated female voice doesn't understand my southern accent because she responds by asking me, choose a device. I know then she misunderstood me and for whatever reason, she's not gonna tell me I don't understand you. She's just gonna say, choose a device. No, I gave you a command. You understand what I'm saying? It's starting already, right? I gave you a command by jinkies, right? You, you, you get my drift, right? Okay, all right. I tell her, I push the button again, I tell her, if I if I say, call Nicole Dennis, call my daughter. I want to check on her and the baby, right? Call Nicole Dennis. She says, choose a device. And I go, hmm. And I hit in the call but in that call, right? So I start again, and I'm trying to remember she's very phonetic in nature, right? So I have to say, call Nick Cole Dennis, right? (laughs) Nick Cole. She goes, calling Nick Cole Dennis, right? (laughs) Needless to say, if I lose my temper with her and I yell at her, She doesn't respond well. Go figure. (laughs) You know, if I yell at her, I can't get her to do nothing. (laughs) You know, but here I am riding down the road in my truck, and I'm arguing with a stinking computer, right? And she don't give a flying flip. She's not going to anyway, enough already. But I find myself having lost my temper with a goofy computer voice. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will show up. The Holy Spirit will get a grip on you. Let you know. And folks, listen, all of us have these things in our life that the Holy Spirit keeps coming back to revisit. Why? Because he loves us and he wants to help us for the glory of God. He wants to change us for the glory of God. Of God. Can you say amen? amen? All right, now here's the thing. Every day I'm tempted to have attitudes and thoughts. I'm like everybody else. I'm tempted to say things. I'm tempted to do things that I call are defective. All right? Hurtful, proud, selfish. Now, these are the dragons in our lives that need to be slain, right? So what is the gospel way to slay those dragons? The answer is, listen to this. Sin, think about this with me. You might not get the grasp at first. Sin is never performed out of duty. We never sin as a sense of duty. We sin because of the lie of sin. You only do sin because sin is lying to you, and telling you that you'll be happier. It will feel good. You have to slay that promise of pleasure because, hey, the Bible says sin has pleasure for how long? For a season, it says in one point. Another point, it's it's fleeting. The pleasure's fleeting. The glory of God has no beginning and will have no end, right? So in the end, listen to this, you have to slay that promise of pleasure with the promise of superior pleasure. And in the end, the higher pleasure is knowing, loving, and delighting in the glory of God manifest in Jesus Christ, which means this, you have been liberated from sin I'm going to tell you that there was nothing more powerful in my life than the Holy Spirit challenging me about the scripture I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so is it right for you to say well I just can't stop this thing I'm addicted is that right which is true what you just said or the word of God sooner or later it's like bending a steel bar in your brain you have to choose the truth of the word of God and I'm telling you I, 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 I thank God that there was an area of my life that was in the grip and control of addiction I'll tell you that right now and it wasn't until The Holy Spirit challenged me about that scripture. It's either true or it's a lie. The Bible says, let every man be a liar, but God is truth. Amen? Amen. God is truth. God's word is truth. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it'll set you free. It'll set you free. All right? Think about this with me. You might be think, uh, tempted to think that for a person that has been liberated from sin, you still struggle greatly. I mean, you know, you might feel that way, you know? Um, but watch this with me. Now, let me read that to you again. You might be tempted to think that for a person that has been liberated from sin, you still struggle greatly. What is a struggle? Somebody tell me what a struggle is. It's a fight. Thank you. Were you a cop? I was just wondering. (laughs) You know, I was in a lot of struggles in my lifetime. All right. I was in a lot of fights. God was good to me. He helped me. I'm standing before you today and I didn't have to go by way of a hospital. Not once. All right. Now, so I know what fighting is. I have been. This is not braggadocious. This is just being braggadocious on God. I never got hurt, but I was in fights on more than one occasion with people that were trying to take my life. So I know what a fight is. I know the difference between a good fight and a bad fight. All right? Why is that important? Well, let's look here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. What makes a good fight a good fight? Somebody tell me. Good answer, but there's a better one. What exactly did you say again? Say it again. The purpose for which you fought. I like that. I like that. And what did you say, sister? All right. Well, as a guy who's been in lots of them, all right, let me tell you the difference between a good fight and a bad fight. Good fight is one that you won. (laughs) A bad fight is one that you lost and you got hurt Paul says I have fought the good fight there was a, a Christian preacher in China um, that uh, spent many years in prison for being a Christian for preaching the gospel and the English name that we used to describe him was watchman knee anybody ever heard of him you ever read the normal Christian life Man, a book's like, it's three volumes. If you get it in one volume, it's that thick. The Normal Christian Life, written by Watchman Nee, where, where he challenges people, stop putting Paul on a pedestal. Paul just lived his life to set an example for us to follow. Quit putting him up on some unachievable platform where you can never live the life he lived, you know, to that caliber. No, we're to aspire to it. Amen. So 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Well, what do you think the the good fight was over? The same things you fight over, the same identical struggles you know, well, no, no, Paul he had to be better than me. Paul had to be stronger than me. Paul, no, Paul had the same Jesus, the same glory of God that you have. We are without excuse. Don't give me any more excuses. We are without excuse. If I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me, I'm struggling with sin. And I'm just dumb enough to yell, thank God you're in a struggle. You're in a fight. You're fighting. And they're looking at me like, whoa, that's not what. No, that's what you're saying. You're in a fight. Good. Keep fighting. That's what God honors is that you continue the struggle while believing his word to set you free. Sometimes it just takes a whole heaping helping of patience. You know, that's one thing you never have to ask God for. He's going to put it on you, baby. is <laughs> patience. All right. 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you know that you can be fighting things in your life? and Things can still be a mess by anybody's description. But you can still be loving his appearing. You can still be loving his appearing. Amen. You know, it doesn't matter so much what shape or form the fight takes as long as you don't give up on your pursuit of him and his glory. Amen. But I will tell you this solemn warning you got to reach a place in your life at some point where you embrace the word of God and its truth over the pleasures of this world. Thank God for his grace, amen? His mercy, it works, you know? Look, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you're, that you're on the path, amen? But, but know this the Holy Spirit shows up right away and starts whittling on you. He shows up right away and starts helping you. That's what the Holy Spirit is, is a helper and a teacher. You know? The Holy Spirit shows up and starts tinkering with you right away. All right? Just let him have his way. Amen? So, the glory of God, encapsulating. What he did on the cross for me defies description it was a glorious act on his part and he was being glorious while he did it all right last note fighting to see and savor the glory of God is not only a great honor to him it's a great honor to God when we fight to see and savor the glory of God it's not only a great honor to him, it's a great liberation for me. And you, that's battling sin every day of your life. You know, do you think for one minute that, that battling one addiction and getting victory, it's over? I've achieved, I've arrived, I battled, I got over. What it taught me though was nothing is above the power of the glory of God. No sin in my life, no addiction, no bad habit, you know. Now, all God did was turn around and then showed me the next thing. Look, we're going to pray together, but I'm going to tell you a little something here about having a communion service. We're We're going to enjoy communion together on the same day we've always enjoyed it. Think about this with me for a minute. You know when that, that scripture talks about, if you have anything against your brother, have all against your brother, go to your brother, you, know, you get it right, right? I tell people this, every time we have a communion service, it's a testimony service. We're testifying that we believe not only that he died on the cross for our sins and ascend to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, but he's going to return. He's coming back for us, right? Amen, amen. That's something to get happy about, right? Another thing is that we should be in anticipation of all of the miracles God wants to do in communion services. You never, you think, well, I got this little cup of juice and I got this little cracker and I pray over them and I take them and I'm saying, thank you, God, you're coming back for me one day. It's so much deeper than that. Mark this down, mark this down in your heart. Never, ever do, you know, you can do communion on your bedside every night with you and the Lord. And I'm saying never will you ever do that that a miracle doesn't happen. You just don't see it. You may not hear it. You may not feel it. You may not comprehend it. But miracles happen, right? That's why my wife and I, when we got married, right, we said, oh, lots of people have communion. No, we didn't have communion, just me and her in front of a bunch of strangers or people or family and friends. No, we went to our hotel room, and the first thing we did was we celebrated communion together, me, her, and God. I'll never forget it as long as I live, right? I've told the story before, I'm going to tell it again in closing, and we're going to pray together. Why? Because all of us have a mess in our lives we need to give to God. I don't care who you are. Don't tell me you're so proud. You're so, oh, no, I'm so good. No, no, no. Stop that right now. Stop it, right? One of the mentors in my life was a man named Parvin Lee, and, and i just thinking about him, brings tears to my eyes. Parvin Lee, when I met him, was in his 70s, and he was willing to impart things in me when I was a teenager starting out in the ministry. And he had an effect on my life that where I'm 62 years old now, I'm still mulling over some of those things. He said, I'm not going to over expound on this. I'm just going to tell you what happened to me when I was a little bit older than you. He said, I was pastoring my first church, and we were just having a communion service just having a communion service you got the little bread and the little cups we're just having communion service and he said all of a sudden this man on the front row jumped up threw his hands in the air and started shouting and worshiping God and he said we, we're looking you know I mean it wasn't too unusual it's Pentecostal church all kinds of things happen right you know this guy's jumping up and down and raising his hands he's shouting and worshiping God And when he settled down enough for me to see what had happened, he said, I'd known that man for the whole time i have been there. He said, it's one thing if a person is blind and they receive their sight. That's pretty heavy duty, right? He said, what if there's no eyeball in there? And all of a sudden, God put an eyeball in the socket amen that's worth that's worth shouting about right he said look i, I was look I, I was told one time this isn't a good word i'm sorry if it if it offends anybody i'm not trying to offend anybody i'm trying to tell you i'm from the south where if you don't know something you're uninformed you're ignorant you're just ignorant you're uninformed you're uneducated it doesn't mean it, it's not a reference to it's a reference really to me <laughs> sometimes i'm ignorant I'm, uninformed. I'm not uneducated right all right look he said, I had no idea what had happened, you know. He said, I, I didn't understand. We're just doing communion service. Look, if I'm challenging you to go home and read the verses of Scripture about communion so that you get ready in a couple of weeks when you come in, be ready for anything, right? It says, it says you shouldn't partake unworthily, all right? And so, how do, you get, how do you get ready to take communion? It says you examine yourself. You get ready, right? What I've noticed is that God, the Holy Spirit, is faithful to show us things in our life. Not all of it at one time. Why? Because you can't handle it. He'll show you something. He wants you to give it to him and then take communion. And when God takes care of that, it's a miracle, right? But what it says is many of you who have partaken Unworthily, Because they didn't do what they were told to do. What did they do? It's the same word, the same Greek word. It says some of you have slept. The same word that was used for Lazarus. You know, the disciples got on to Jesus. Why are we in such a hurry to go to Lazarus? He's just asleep. No, Jesus then felt it was important to share specifically with the disciples. Lazarus is dead we used to call it drt dead right there right now what they said was what they said was listen don't tell me you can't die prematurely don't tell me you can't die before your time i know you can that scripture's proof right because if they had just died you know when they were supposed to die it's no big deal that they partook wordly or unworthily, right so, in other words, what does it tell me? Listen to me. I'm not a word twister. I don't lie to you. I give you the word of God straight. That's your pastor. If I'm your pastor, that's it. All right? So, what it tells me is miracles can happen. People can be healed of cancer, blindness, being crippled, and you ain't got to lay hand on nobody. You know what I'm saying? Do you know why I like that the best when God just by his glory shows up and does things? Nobody's tempted. Nobody's tempted. I'm so glad that I never got to lay a hand on that one woman. I was two inches from her arm when the bolt of lightning that struck knocked me over and shot her straight up in the air. And she went to dancing and she was crippled. I never got to lay a hand on her, so I was never tempted to take any credit for it. See what I'm saying? Learn about the glory of God. Learn about how it's manifest. Learn what God wants to do and then get out of his way. If you can't get with it, get out of the way, all right? And let's let God be God, all right? All right, we're going to pray.